I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a beautiful morning. I think I'll What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer extraordinaire and a draft king, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Nothing much, Mike. Went to two drive-thrus for dinner. How you doing? The first one just didn't get it done, or was this a combo order? Combo order. It was planned. Uh, Jimmy John's and Culver's. So did you go Jimmy John's for the meal and Culver's for dessert? Did you mix and match? Walk me through this. You know how I do. Two meals. Two 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 sandwiches. I'm a big two sandwich poppy hit <laughs> when it comes to drive throughs I, I, I made a very simple $20 Culver's order when we were together in Arizona, and you said I went ham on that order. I was like, sir, I was being performative. Well, yeah, I mean, you went ham relative to normal person circumstances. Clearly, in your <laughs> life, you were built different. But for the rest of us mere mortals, what you did with $20 at Culver's sounded like a small family was ready to ride. Thankfully, it was the two of us sitting in the car, so no one at the checkout window was any any wiser to what was going on. Yes, I think it is just the fact that you had to echo the order. Anyone in the seat that has to echo the order back to the the person taking it, it always feels like extra. 
Yeah, I don't know if the sensitivity of those microphones going to the drive-through correspondent are as much as you would let on with that, but I understand your point. Thankfully, cooler heads prevailed. So another impressive uh, mobile order for you. And honestly, Brandon, that sort of refuel is necessary. We got a great show for you guys today. Uh, yes. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Brandon, you can also check out the DraftKings YouTube channel, by, by the way. Uh, Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab under there. Uh, I'm going to remember how to do this right. It's Monday, but Brandon, that's really what this is about. We are coming off of our first weekend without NFL football in quite some time. And I am amazed at how exhausted I am. Like, looking around, getting ready for the show today, Brandon, we've got a lot of great stuff for you guys to talk to talk to you guys about. The Genesis Invitational in golf and some happenings with Tiger Woods over yep. the weekend. NBA All-Star. We had the Daytona 500. We had college lacrosse going on, which is big for me and basically Stu Gotts this time of year as far as sports media people. But I just started looking around and realizing between all of that and the XF and the USFL getting started, there's a lot of sports happening right now to sort of absorb that seven hour of commercial free football sized hole in our lives. Yes, Mike. It's not only that, uh, obviously, NBA All-Star Weekend, which is huge all weekend long. Not huge, but it's the it's the we're all watching the same thing effect, right? Like on, on Twitter, like after the, uh, the three point contest and the dunk contest Saturday night, I tweeted, what are we all watching? And I just left TNT on and it was true blood from season one, episode one. I was like, okay, I see what you're doing. TNT, not, not time for the drama just yet, but it's the, it's the communal watching of one thing that it's still going on. Well, it's kind of not though, because there's so many things happening all at once. I couldn't tell some of my timeline was watching NBA All-Star, which we'll get to. Some of it was watching the Beer Snake return to DC in the XFL. Some of it was watching the final round of the Genesis Invitational. Like now our attention is a little bit more spread out. And so we are looking at all of these things to try and fill that space. And I think so far did it pretty well. But to your point, and the biggest difference is it's not just coming in and getting whatever the slate of Sunday NFL games into Sunday night has given us anymore. And that presents some unique opportunities, I will say. So, Brandon, why don't we start with what you mentioned in the NBA All-Star game? Because Salt Lake City, as the host city for the NBA All-Star game, first and foremost, I think I figured out, as someone tweeted at me when I asked the question, is the Indianapolis of the West. Like, it is an all-star city that I've seen a lot of people start to cape up for a little bit more because everything is close together. It's an infinitely walkable setup for this event. The people locally have come and showed out and been very hospitable and all the things that we usually hear about cities that care about hosting these events but do not have much inherently interesting to offer in terms of nightlife and the other things that we're used to in these games. So there is definitely value in that, even if I tend to believe that these games should be hosted in a few specific cities that offer you a little bit more in that other area. Yes, I, I will not stand for the constant Indianapolis slander here. It's not, not slander. slander. I love Indianapolis. It's just the cell is everything is walkable. You've got the indoor tunnels for when it's cold, and then you're supposed to go to St. Elmo's. Like there's nothing else. And listen, I would I love the Kurt Vonnegut Museum. I love some of the quirks of Indianapolis and the things around there, but compared to other championship and host cities, it's not an inherently interesting place to go if you're a mass amount of people coming in for a big event. It's a place to get live, not lit, right? But when it comes to Utah and Salt Lake City, 
in my opinion, it's a it's a uh, from the outside looking in, it's a town, it's a city built by you know Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So like, there's a religious tie to it that that makes it feel a little bit more buttoned up and conservative, and that's what makes it more confusing. It's like the antithesis of Vegas, and why is the NBA you know All Star Weekend there? Yeah, all interesting questions, but none of it really affects the content that we see coming from All-Star Weekend, and I guess that's sort of the question I have is, was All-Star Weekend a success, and how do we even judge All-Star Weekends, these Pro Bowl weekends, the celebrations of the game that we're supposed to get in all these sports, how do we accurately judge them right now, because I thought it was interesting going into the weekend, Kevin Durant went on his podcast, ETC, and said that he believes guys like John Morant and Zion Williamson should be in the dunk contest. He went through this year's lineup, including the inevitable winner beforehand, and said it's no disrespect to these guys, but this contest used to mean something in NBA circles. And Kevin Durant, one of the best players in the NBA, who is just a part of a massive trade, is saying that it doesn't feel that way anymore. And I feel like so much of how we judge the league now, whether it is the length of the season, the value of the regular season, and now this conversation around the All-Star games are accelerated by what players go out and say publicly, right? What they say matters because it allows other people to be critical when you can look and say, well, it doesn't even seem like the players value the regular season based on the way that they approach it. Well, it doesn't seem like the players value the Pro Bowl or the All-Star game as much as they used to based on participation. So how are we supposed to? So like base level question, Brandon, did you enjoy NBA All-Star weekend and the events that were a part of it? I did. I did. I do think there's a, tr- a little truth to what Kevin Durant is saying, where I'm a- enjoying it based on past, more recent, lackluster All-Star games. Like, I think uh, expectations are reset. You know, we're not we're not even at the 2016 uh, Zach Levine versus Aaron, uh, Aaron Gordon. And even past that, the Dwight, Dwight Howard versus Nate Robinson. Like, our expectations have come down not to focus it solely on just the dunk contest but let's be real that's what the that's what this game this weekend is built around it being on the saturday so yes i i enjoyed it but i enjoyed it because of the twist what was the twist that mac mcclung won absolutely mike yes that was the twist the twist was the internet dunker who five days ago was in the G league and then signed with the Philadelphia Sixers having what two games under his two NBA games under his belt. Yeah. So Mac McClung has played two career NBA games. He has been a G leaguer. He signed a two way contract with the 76ers and got brought up for this game because of, as you pointed out his prowess as a dunker, he's about six to a hunt, you know, just over 200 pounds soaking wet. So not what you would imagine as a physically impressive guy. He looks like Utah in the dunk contest, but he went out there and put on for whatever his city was in a big way. One had three fifties as scores in the dunk contest was hitting a lot of them on the first attempt which absolutely matters in the way that they're consumed yeah but and so brandon it did go it did give collective buzz to this right because what you ended up getting was quality in that moment it's just that 
you needed to see it before you were going to believe it, right? He wasn't a draw that was going to bring people in, but once word of mouth started working, now people start turning, now people start checking their timelines to see what this kid's going to do next because now he went out and proved the concept very early in this dunk contest. Yes, but that's the point of this whole thing, Mike, is action speaks louder than words. And that's why it's not a big deal about these Kevin Durant says about the All-Star game or what John Morant says about dunk contests or even what LeBron James says about the dunk contest because action speaks louder than words. Like the whatever we're complaining about the All-Star and I, forgive me for coming at LeBron cuz you know, want to give him all the flowers and roses as possible every day of the week, but if he would just have performed in the dunk contest any time in this 19-year career, this whole All-Star weekend would look differently. Is that fair to say? Um, you know what? I don't think The way think Michael so. Jordan just showed up, the way Vince Carter showed up, Trace McGrady, like there's 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 All-Stars, Dominique, Dominique Wilkins before our time, there's All-Stars that I imagine there wasn't a trinket of, of conversation. It was just showing up and doing the thing. So what I'll say is, yes, maybe it would have created a space where more of these guys would have felt comfortable going out once you see LeBron James put his reputation on the line, wasn't worried about any of the fallout, decided he wanted to be a part of it. Maybe then, yes, it creates a space where this is more popular, and who knows, because the dunk contest for me was really always the crown jewel of NBA All-Star Weekend. But the right. other thing that I would say about all of this and interest in any of these events is it, to me, is just more a sign of the times, right? When you and I were growing up and even in college, watching these things was the only way that you were going to get them. Now, even if I'm not watching live, which I wasn't for Mac McClung, I wasn't watching that. I was doing any other number of things out on a weekend night. I, was. I could go and check the timeline, and I could see all the dunks just the same on Twitter. I could get them at a place where it was just going to siphon it down to, hey, here's the coolest possible thing we got out of this. So, number one, I think for a lot of people, social media as Cliff Notes has certainly changed this. I think in general, we've seen and talked about viewing habits changing a lot for sports among younger generations, among people in general coming off the pandemic where we are not as beholden to sports overall, and that's the regular sports, let alone these all-star weekends where you just also don't see the same kind of effort. And I'm not knocking the players on that. I get why they look at this more and more as just really a chance to get hurt. They want to go hang and enjoy this. And... In a time where we've got so much access to these guys, where guys like Kevin Durant do have a podcast, where these guys are big-time brands all on their own that through social media and a number of other avenues can be known, seen, and heard by fans, you don't really need All-Star Weekend as much to be that celebration where it's your one opportunity as a fan to look out and reach out and touch and see these players. And so I just think overall these events and what they were supposed to be originally – don't hold the same place in the world now because the world has changed pretty drastically in how we consume this stuff. I, yes, it has changed, but that changes the or pushes the goalpost when it comes to was it a success or not? Like, I want to ask is the all star game, is the all star weekend important to the NBA? And I would argue it is, and it still is. And for that, Adam Silver needs to incentivize these players to get involved in a way that the fans are begging them to be involved in. Yeah, which, I mean, is money, right? Like, you pay them with money. Yes. Like, you are what you incentivize. Yes. We're going to talk about that with the PGA in a little bit. 
but you are what you incentivize. And so for all the midseason tournaments and other ideas possible, yeah, that is certainly an area where they can try and do that. But also for the NBA right now, Brandon, on the sliding scale of justice and what's important to them, I'd imagine for Adam Silver, it's continuing to find ways to make the NBA's regular season feel more relevant and feel more important for players and fans and everybody alike than All-Star Weekend is. Yeah, no, but All-Star Weekend is a, is one of those weekends where you remember where you were when you saw it. Like, when you saw the dunk, when the moment happened. Like, I it, it's I, I know I you're, think, you're, I think, you're shaking well, I, your head. I think that's gone. Like, I, I just I don't, don't think I don't, I don't think, think so. Think, and I think, think All-Star Weekend brought it back. I think I, Mac McClung brought it back. It, honestly, as someone who was watching it live, I my my jaw dropped it, it was it was one of those things you ask where where he's from he's from gate city uh 1600 people in the in virginia broke allen iverson's record for points in high school for basketball beat jj reddick's record for points in a game uh for virginia like this person he was you know he was around during the zion williamson highlight dunk uh world so like we know of him well, in I the mean, in the so- I- social media landscape for him to get on that stage where Giannis is holding up his Android and and all these actual stars are around and energized by this play. Like, I think that changed what happens next. The, even after Watini said, if the NBA will have me, I'd love to come back and defend my title. Like, we got to get this guy on a team and staying in the league for a whole season well, just for this event next year. I guess that's my point is if he doesn't end up breaking out into the league, no one's going to remember this. Like, and that's not to be dismissive of it being cool and awesome in the moment. Like, not everything has to last forever to matter. This, like, to me, NBA All-Star Weekend was a success, right? Dame Lillard won the three-point contest. That's awesome. Love to see Dame get some shine. You had this happen in the dunk contest where we very rarely get someone that delivers in such a way, especially out of nowhere like this. You even had, now, the one thing I will say, my one beef with All-Star Weekend, because in general, like, I'm not here to say it was a failure. It seemed like everything went really well. You had a bunch of big stars in one area. You had something for them to all get excited about here. Everyone had fun. My one bit of beef was the all-star draft where Adam Silver and the league got up in their feelings about the notion of someone being drafted last and decided to do the all-star reserves draft before the all-star starters draft, even though we're all not stupid. And so we figured out that whoever is drafted last, Jaron Jackson Jr. in the all-star reserve draft was the last pick. Like, you can't avoid that. It was dumb to yeah. try and avoid that. Part of the draw in all of this for us was I absolutely tuned in to make sure I saw the All-Star Game draft because I wanted to see how this would go. Seeing Nikola Jokic walk down to LeBron James's team to make abundantly clear when the starters were getting drafted, I am not going to be the last pick. I am forcing your hand to pick me over the hometown kid and Laurie <laughs> Markkinen. That was funny. That was the goal of that thing. And because they were able to sell it with their best players that's a draw that's how this stuff works and i just thought it was dumb for them to try and reorganize that like we weren't smart enough to figure it out well i would say that they're going to continue to figure it out they're going to continue to try and shrink it and and change things and that just means that it's still alive so i'm happy for it well, and, this, and this is my time to really pay attention to basketball mike like the this this street game of the all-star game is really my end to the nba season because guess what it's about to be playoff time baby and i'm eating up all of it 
Yeah, again, like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with All-Star Weekends. I understand why we have them. Sports still, live events still usually rate pretty well. Now, we'll see what this one's like. We're basing this off the NFL behemoth where everything rates because we're addicted to football, hopelessly in this country. But yeah. for this, I get it. People are willing to watch. People like live events. And so you're not going to do what would be, I think, the most effective version of the All-Star game and just make it one quarter of actual basketball since the fourth quarter with the Elam ending is the only place that they try anyway. Just make it that and then figure out something else to fill the time with. But they're not going to do that because money. And I get all of that stuff. So I'm not here to tinker with it. I'm just here to wonder if maybe because of all of the differences in the world around, these things are less important than they used to be because we've got so much more to contend with now as comp competition overall it was fun to watch you and i are recording in the third in the uh start of the fourth quarter of this one so i haven't seen who's won but at the end of the third quarter team Giannis was beating team lebron 158 to 141 so i hope no one even thought about taking the all-star game under um and this is all happening despite the fact that by the way lebron on paper again it's impossible to predict because no one tries in this game but lebron on paper freaking waxed Giannis as far as drafting these teams like it wasn't even close yeah Giannis doesn't do a good job drafting these teams like if there's any nba script that's written like the nfl is that lebron's team will win the all-star game because the other the other team is just going to throw it and i also think lebron's just a smarter basketball player well, I mean, it, the the GM moniker is never more earned than when All-Star Weekend rolls around and he's drafting against right. Giannis. Like, Team LeBron was him, Embiid, Jokic, Kyrie Irving, Luka, Julius Randle, Jaron Jackson Jr., Paul George, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Therese Halliburton, Jalen Brown, Anthony Edwards, and Zion, who didn't play, to Team Giannis's Laurie Markkinen, Jason Tatum, John Morant, Donovan Mitchell – Pascal Siakam, Demonis Sabonis, DeRozan, Adebayo, Holiday, Lillard, and Durant, who wasn't playing. Like on paper, it's not even close. Team but LeBron yeah. versus Team De- uh, Team Giannis in a real game would be a waxing of epic proportions. Yeah, Giannis. I feel like he's always thinking, "Who's going to play well with me? Who's who's going who's going to do well with me?" Is that your Giannis impression? I think so. Just for now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brandon, this is actually an interesting segue into a conversation I want to have about what we saw in golf this weekend, about how we incentivize the things that we want to see and if it is working. So we had the Genesis Invitational going on at Riviera Country Club in California this weekend. And it was a big deal because 
Tiger Woods was back playing yes. in this tournament. It was his first official PGA Tour event since he missed the cut at the at the Open in St. Andrews in July, and it was the first time that he had played 72 holes since finishing 47th at the Masters all the way in last April, all coming off of the car wreck that he was in in February of 2021. So this was a big deal to have Tiger Woods back out here for the entirety of this tournament. It It's just... So, for I say, it's a big deal. That mattered a lot to see Tiger back out there. And for a lot of people, it was exciting to see Tiger, especially early in the tournament. He tapered off in the last round, shot a round where I think he had five bogeys uh, in the fifth uh, in the last round, carded a two over 73 on the final day, and was in 45th place when he ended up finishing. All of those were things that we expect from a guy who's back, knees, leg, all these things before the car accident, we're in a place that we're going to make him for golfing for him at this age pretty tough. But you could see him laboring by the end. My question yeah. was, did Tiger end up helping or hurting the Genesis Open this weekend? Because we've got a conversation on one side that we can have about Tiger Woods and the draw he has as golf is trying to do all of these new things to create interest in the game. We also had yeah. on day one, the bit of controversy with tiger this weekend with the tampon that he handed to, um, uh, Rory McIlroy yeah. in round one. So for anyone that missed it, tiger woods, Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas were paired together in round one of the tournament, big star studded group at one of the yeah. PGA's elevated events. Like the PGA is designated 17 tournaments throughout the year where all of the best players essentially have to play. We'll explain why in a bit, but they essentially have to play and are being incentivized to, and there are bigger purses in this tournament. And that group was sort of the shining example of, Hey, these are some of the biggest names in golf all teeing it up together. Tiger and Rory know each other really well. And so during the round, at one point, Tiger grossly outdrove both of the young guys in his group. Tiger, 47, coming off all those injuries, decided that he was going to show that to Rory by going up to him and slipping him a tampon. Basically, as if to say, you hit that shot like a girl. Which... Brandon, it feels weird that we have to say is a dumb, very outdated joke that yeah. Tiger Woods, as a person living in this time, but also someone who is live has been so overwhel so overwhelmingly public for such a long time, should have known at a number of different stops, this is a bad idea and is only going to draw negative attention to me. Yeah, it seems like a joke that a 47-year-old going on 60 would make and it feels like that's exactly where Tiger Woods is right now like you said your extrapolation of the joke I kind of took it another way but all of them just lead to low-hanging fruit and golf course locker room humor and stuff that really has no place in the the mainstream and obviously Tiger should know everyone's watching especially that star-studded group so I, it just feels like a it feels like he's losing it for, for even trying to go about things that way. And my mistake, it was Justin Thomas that he attempted to hand that to. Oh, okay. So okay. Mistake, mistaken on that. But either way, yeah, Brandon, you're right. Like it, it, it shouldn't have happened. Is it the worst thing that's ever happened in the world? No. Do I think it actually ruined the weekend for golf? No, I don't. But it was another reminder that for a sport that has not had a very inclusive background the entire time it's yeah. been around and has been working in some ways, I won't say too, too hard, but 
people around the sport have been working to try and make it a more inclusive area for minority players, for women to come out and be a part of these games, to see something like this from the most notable player in the sport's history is a setback. And it was something that at the end of the day just seemed dumb. Like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think Elika said it perfectly. She said like, uh, girl dads everywhere. Uh, retweeting the moment and it's just, it does seem like something that is just a really really oh she said hashtag girl dads be like it's just like it just seems like just just something that you're embarrassed I've seen you be embarrassed by a joke that your dad said it's just one of those things it's just like okay come on just don't well, not to like, make the comparison no I guess the, the point with these always is because we went through enough of the news cycle to hear the roar from both sides of people saying, this isn't a big deal. Men hit the ball farther than women. They use different tees. What do you want? Like, that's not the point. The point is not stating some fact about physical superiority. It's using right. being a woman or having a period as some sort of slight and sign of weakness. Like it's yes. meant, it's meant at its core in the joke to be derogatory the way our teammates and us all used to do at different points back when we were young and too dumb to know. And we hadn't talked about these things as much as the world about, Hey, fr hearing from the group of people who are the butt of the joke, this doesn't feel good when we hear it. We really wish you wouldn't right. use these words. It's a minor concession. We're asking you to not make us the butt of the joke with the language that you use. And so to update and avoid the low hanging fruit, like you said, isn't a huge ask. And that's always the way that I view these things is we have now gotten to a point we probably always should have known, but I think now, especially where so many people have a voice in telling us actually how they feel about the way that these words get used, that these things should not happen anymore. It's not even a funny enough joke to begin to try and broach how dumb this is and where it comes from on the other side. Right. But if it's going to happen from anyone, it's unfortunately going to be from the guy who's on his way out. And I think that's the transition to talk about the actual golf that was played. Yeah, and I won't even put that on on them. Like I've always had the conversation about how sports simultaneously forces you to grow up and stunt your emotional growth at the same time, but yes. we don't have to get all the way into that. Again, not the worst thing that's ever happened. Tiger is going to go on and be able to do just fine, and golf is going to have more eyes and attention on it for the better with him around, but it was a dumb joke, and we don't need to act like it was anything else than that. It's not something you need to take up and defend. It was something he shouldn't have done, and it's easy to say, no, we're past that point or should be past that point. Let's move on without that joke and keep trying to make golf a place where more people feel like they're welcome and allowed to play in it. But, Brandon, as far as what you mentioned with the rest of the tournament – it is interesting to consider what we mentioned. So how this tournament was structured, I think, is noteworthy with where we're at in golf because we are at a point right now where Full Swing, the golf documentary on Netflix, is up and running and going, and this event is indicative of the future. So this event that we had is one of the PGA Tour-designated events. It's 17 tournaments throughout the year where all the best players are playing for more money. Players who finish in the top 20 of the Player Impact program are required to play in these. So they have got to play. The biggest names in the sport, the one that make the most splash, are required to play in these tournaments, and they're given more money to do so. 
Like this player impact program started in 2021 and it essentially measures which players are searched most on the internet, which players' logos appear on screen most, which players are most aware, uh, is the public most aware of, and who gets the best social media engagement. It's essentially a metric, hey, put yourself out there and in return, you're going to get a financial reward for it. In 2022, $100 million of bonus money was spread out over the top 20 players as a part of this pool. And so to get that money, you got to play in all these tournaments and you're allowed to miss one a year. And so you get the things like we saw this weekend, which was an awesome tournament where, by the way, John Rahm ended up winning. John Rahm, who's playing probably the best golf in the world right now, who I believe as a result of this tournament win ascended to number one, has been killing it was going up against Max Homa, who's been the internet's favorite golfer for quite some time. Young guy, he's from California. He played his college golf in California. And this tournament mattered a lot to him. And it went right down the wire all the way through Sunday. And it was really exciting and compelling golf. The question I do wonder, Brandon, is as Tiger Wood answers questions about his future and says, I'm going to play the four majors and maybe a couple other tournaments because that's all my body can do. I do wonder in the variables in this equation for golf, how much Tiger Woods just being around is still the thing propping this up. And when he finally goes away, how much of this is actually going to meaningfully move the needle for the sport? I I applaud them trying. And I think they should keep doing these things. You are what you incentivize. And so for golf to incentivize players to be more outspoken, more in the uh, more on social media, more visible to the public in general. We saw Rory McIlroy talking about this the other day. We need to market our players like the NBA does theirs. Market the stars and put them out there. This tournament is an example of what happens when you do that. It's just going to be fascinating to watch and see how much of this is still the Tiger Woods aura emanating around the sport and how much of it will be the things that golf is trying to do to help itself. Well, one thing is is how the eyes get there. And then the other thing is what keeps the eyes, right? Like, I think there's a reality to just good golf being played is enough to 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 stick around even though if you just came to see tiger do well like we're all hoping that tiger gets a 16th major but after this genesis invitational i don't believe that we're going to see it and i'm kind of like kobe's last year like this kobe's last year uh hurt the the lakers yes the lakers still benefit from that yes like i think both things can be true no that's a fair point and I think you're right in that having extra eyeballs come in, the general eyeballs coming in is always going to be a net positive. It is what you do with it. And it's a line I've heard Bamani Jones said to me for a long time, you win with quality. You keep people around with quality. And so as you've got these young golfers, like we mentioned with Max and Rory and Justin and all the names, some of them we've known for quite a while now, right? Like JT, Rory, those guys aren't new names on the tour. They're the established ones. But if you can get more people knowing who these guys are, when you get access, like having some of these guys mic'd up on the course to explain certain things, you maximize what you're doing with the eyeballs that someone like Tiger Woods is giving you. And maybe that's your foothold going forward into this world is saying, hey, we've got to try more right now. And I think that's the thing that's most encouraging me for golf right now. And this weekend, I think is a positive example is they understand the opportunity that they've got. Maybe maybe it's consciously, maybe it's subconsciously with what we're talking about with the last bits of Tiger Woods on the tour. 
But so far, this weekend as an example, that's a success. That is absolutely yeah. a success with the product that you got, how compelling it was down to the finish, and some of the names that were involved in this all the way through. I would say this, though. Like the NBA, the people at the top, the golfers, are like Justin Thomas, Rory, obviously they're, they're in – they're getting interviewed left and right always, but they have to be willing and ready to do more. Yeah. Right. Cause when it comes to the stars, like leading the way that is ask LeBron James, like it's, it's a lot on their plate. And sometimes, especially in golf, there's type of sport that we kind of, we respect their privacy. Like we respect their process. And, and a lot of that isn't talking to a social media man after the uh, seventh hole and explaining uh, what happened on that birdie. Like, uh, you know, I think there's a, a little bit for that. And I just want to go back to John Rahm. Yeah. How do you pronounce his name? John Rahm is actually ranked third right now, but everyone is saying that he una unanimously he's playing the best golf right now. Right. And so to that point, Brandon, you are what you incentivize. That player impact program we talked about, just to put figures to it, because they're trying to incentivize everything that you talked about. Be more available, be more visible, be more engaged. And the prize money payout is as follows. Tiger Woods made an extra $15 million. Unsurprisingly, he was far out ahead. Rory McIlroy was behind, made $12 million. Jordan Spieth, $9 million. Justin Thomas, $7.5 million. John Rahm, $6 million. Um, Will Zalatoris, $5 million. Uh, Max Homa, $3 million. Like, they're adding millions of dollars onto what these guys already make for you to go out there and be a little bit more engaged in the process. So at the very least, like we talked about with NBA All-Star and like we talk about all the time in college football when people bitch about players not playing in bowl games, if you want them to stay, create an incentive. And what the PGA has said is, hey, if we want you to do this, we're going to pay you to do it. Pretty simple as that. And we're going to pay you based on what the return there looks like. So you're incentivized to do well in all those areas if you want to reap the extra benefit. Yeah, I just golf golf hmm it's easy to do in areas where athletes come from no money or come from less money or less opportunities and it seems like you're we're talking about a sport that at the genesis a lot of these people had that to to at the beginning so asking them to sing and dance lack of better terms obviously to to get more money seems like a maybe a, a, a but again, ask. My, my point is at least they're trying. Like there's not yeah, that many things yeah. that you can do to incentivize this. And so at least they're trying, they're going out and they're trying to do all these things. And I think you're right that golf, ha golf has that perception that you just described. And that's why things like Tiger Woods and the tampon joke are detrimental to this because it reinforces mm. in an era where, especially if you're trying to capture young fans, we've seen young fans of this generation are much more cognizant of, Hey, what are you aligned with socially? What are you about? What are you mm. actually talking about yeah. and supporting? And so to see something like that, if you are a younger fan is absolutely, I'd imagine something that would be a turnoff. And so having those things be headlines on a weekend that should be successful for you that is a net negative that's not something that you want if you're trying to continue to grow what this sport means and to who yeah uh i just wanted to follow up the nba game just ended team Man. Giannis won wow team Giannis. stunned you know what brandon yeah. it just reminds you you can't measure what's in here as i tap on my chest <laughs> yes thank you Giannis drafting for heart.
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Brandon, one NFL headline that I did want to get to before we get to our Oof. weekend roses. Oof. Eric Bieniemy. So, Eric Bieniemy over the weekend was announced as the Washington Commanders' new offensive coordinator. And if that sounds weird, it's because it is. Eric Bieniemy, who has spent years now as the Kansas City Chiefs' offensive coordinator, has been a part of two Super Bowl victories, and overall been a part of one of the most successful offenses in the NFL, this kind of lateral move was an understandable head-scratcher for a lot of people. And I guess, Brandon, when you hear that, what's the best way to describe this news, that Eric Bieniemy is now taking the offensive coordinator job for the Washington Commanders. Because for me, the word is kind of sad. Like, it's so strange that it's come to this, where everything we've heard, as Eric Bieniemy has unfortunately had to be the poster for a conversation about minority hires in the NFL for years now. Like, he's been at the Chiefs for five years. And for really the last, at least three of those years, every offseason we've come up, we've watched the cycle of Eric Bieniemy being interviewed, Eric Bieniemy not being hired despite a bunch of success, more than his comparable peers who have also come up through the recent Andy Reid coaching tree who like Eric Bieniemy. What are the things that we always hear thrown against him, right? Has not been a play caller in Kansas City. Neither was Matt Nagy, who went on to become the Chicago Bears head coach, or Doug Peterson, who went on to become the Philadelphia Eagles head coach under Andy Reid. But they still netted those opportunities. And so the frustration that now, Brandon, it seems like Eric Bieniemy looked at the situation in Kansas City and said, well, clearly me just going out here and helping this offense execute. I know he doesn't call plays, but as Andy Reid has pointed out numerous times, as Patrick Mahomes has pointed out numerous times, what Eric Bieniemy does in that building, helping them design these plays, helping coach up the offense overall, helping with the game plans every week, has helped make them one of the best, if not the best offense in the NFL during the last five years. The fact that Eric Bieniemy looked at that and had to say, all right, clearly just accomplishing is not good enough the way that my peers, and even, again, more because of the success they've had while he's been there than my peers in this role in the past who have gotten jobs, I have to now 
try and go shake it up by going to a place where I will unquestionably be the play caller and will have the title of associate head coach and have all these things that maybe can be the difference for me getting the job that I ultimately want there. It just feels sad. Yeah, Mike, I I don't like it. I I think it's – listen, he's got to be – after two Super Bowl wins – I feel like he may be in a position where he can call his own shot and decide. Now, obviously, his own shot isn't being a head coach because that opportunity hasn't been uh, available for him. But being able to see where you can possibly grow, you know what I mean? Like, even like, I'll say it this way I think Ron Rivera is on a, a very short leash. I think Eric Bianami getting a chance to, in his first year, called offensive plays and then for this new regime new ownership this new fresh washington commanders uh franchise to have someone like him at the helm who has already spent a year in the building knowing the names knowing where you know where to get answers from i think there's a bit of a long game played here which like kind of makes sense but it's more like of a player like a player does this like okay like where you get drafted helps your your career and, and your growth in the career right now i think eric Bieniemy is going to take what he's learned and try to apply it in a very, very popular division that doesn't have, it does have clear cut winner. I just don't know, Mike, it it doesn't make sense. And I feel bad for him, but also feel like he has to be in a position where he isn't taking concessions as much as we on the outside are, are thinking it is. Does that make sense? Like there's something else that we don't know about well, that makes this make sense for Eric Bieniemy and his family and well, his growth as a head coach. Well, I I'm not saying like I think it's an act of desperation. Like he's looking at this and saying, "What more can I possibly do in Kansas City to help me get this job? I've got to try something different." Washington on paper is not a good place to go in and be the coordinator. Like yeah, you've got Terry McLaurin and some exciting weapons, but you're walking into a place where Sam Howell right now is the one you'd probably imagine is your day one starter yeah. and the failed experiment with Carson Wentz last year, an offense that under Scott Turner last year was 27th in yards per game and 28th in points per game, 20th in yards or, uh, yeah, uh, During the three years that Scott Turner was there, they were 27th in yards per game and 28th in points per game, 20th in yards and 26th in points. Like, there wasn't a lot there. And you're walking into a situation you accurately described as one where the head coach is on thin ice, one where the sale of the team might be a part of the conversation soon. And so none of that reeks of an advantageous position for Eric Bieniemy, unless you're thinking, like you said, maybe the long shot that you're the guy that gets the interim tag there, and then in that time right. you do so good. But ask Steve Wilkes, that's not always a guarantee. Ooh. You're not always going to be in a good position when everything goes to shit. And so it, you're right in that the math is not mathing. And there's always no. felt like there's something that's been missing. The problem is, Brandon, we've never heard an inkling or a hint of what that is. We've seen plenty of people, and I don't want to drag these guys' names out through the mud because they're NFL they head coaches. Well, it just yeah. I, I don't want to badmouth anybody who's going out here and trying earnestly to succeed in the profession. But when you see Cliff Kingsbury get fired with a losing record in Texas Tech and then get an opportunity as a head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, and then Eric Bieniemy's on the other side just sitting here like, what's up? 
you have questions about what that represents in this space. And we hear all the time the complaint that, well, maybe Eric Bieniemy doesn't interview well. When John Keim, the ESPN commander's reporter, in the article on ESPN.com said, why did the commanders choose Bieniemy? One of the reasons offered was Washington also liked his presence and how he presented his ideas during the interview, as well as how he planned to use the commander's players and also liked that he told them the team needs to be balanced to score but must finish games with the rushing attack. Like, it essentially refuted that. Now, we can game theory a million reasons why that might be the case. But Brandon, for Washington, where this is an overwhelming win for them to get a hire like this, this late in the cycle, to get someone who on paper has accomplished what Eric Bieniemy has accomplished because no coaching hire is ever an overwhelming slam dunk. There are always questions right. and things that we can't account for. But what you can know and control Eric Bieniemy is a huge win for the Washington Commanders to pull him over there. So they don't need to say anything from their camp other than, shit, we don't know how this happened for us, but we're happy as hell that it did. And so the fact that this is yet another one of those things that refutes this idea that we've been given over and over again, well, maybe Eric doesn't do this well, that hasn't mattered in so many other cases and why it continues to be this barrier here is something that will never fail to confuse me. Yes, but I think there might be some purposefulness on his behalf and him being smart and being you know seeing the league and being being in it as long as he has where like he realizes that his next step doesn't need to be a franchise saver the way a head coach would be especially a head coach that with his resume and more importantly he needs to be he needs to help a franchise make better decisions and I think the Washington Commanders definitely need that left and right on, on all on all factors and how, how they all talk about how buttoned up he is. Even that uh, Jared McKinnon, him sliding uh, to to run the clock on the one, he said like that's a, a Patrick Mahomes credited uh, Eric Bieniemy and and how he runs through drills and situations and practice and things like that. I think there may be something to the fact that he just knows that with the Washington Commanders. And there's six draft picks in the draft. The uh, the first one being, uh, was it the 16th pick? There's quarterbacks out here. I, I think there's, he can actually see his fingerprints on this team in a way that maybe he always saw with the Chiefs, but maybe it is for other people getting a chance to see. Oh, no, that, that's uh, the point. Know. He feels like he has to do that, and he shouldn't, Brandon, because most people in his position... I don't think he shouldn't. Because most people in his position have not been required to do that. I think I saw someone tweet the other day, an OC hasn't had to make a lateral move like this since at least 2017. It doesn't happen, especially but not for some... But it hasn't boded well for them. I, Brandon, that's besides the point. They've given, they've gotten the opportunity, and that's what Eric Bieniemy has stated that he's wanted and not received. And in a league where racial bias and head coaching hires has been a documented part of its history, it's really hard. I understand that there have been black coaches hired in the time that Eric Bieniemy has been a part of these conversations. I get yeah. that. That doesn't mean it still doesn't seep in, and it isn't still something to absolutely keep an eye on and could very well be a part of this conversation. Like, given the league's history, you could understand why people point themselves in that direction. What you bring up, I think, is a fantastic reminder of also why the notion that him not calling plays is so overblown to me. 
Dominic mm. Foxworth for years talked about and and once whittled it down, basically saying we kind of need a combine for coaches for all the soft skills that are the things that end up mattering the most. How you manage people, how you delegate responsibility, how you deal with the front office. Very rarely as the head coach, I understand there are guys that call the plays, but more often than not, skill as a play caller does not translate to skill as a head coach. That's not often a prerequisite. True. And so the notion that that's the thing that's holding him back is sort of insane when that might be a thing that if he's hiring right and putting together a really good staff could potentially come off of his plate. It should be about a lot of those other areas. And again, if that's the problem people perceive, we've never heard of that. All we've heard is like you've described from the people that have worked with him, this is what he's done well. So I, I think it's it's a frustrating reminder of how complicated this process is and the number of factors, implicit or otherwise, implicit by it or otherwise, that can play a role and potentially still do in this situation. I understand and acknowledge there's plenty we don't know. We're not inside these interview rooms, all the things that we've seen publicly, but for this situation to play out like this just does not make a lot of sense given where he's been and what he's done. But isn't it fair to say that every movement for him would be lateral or step down outside of the head coaching position, which is not available to him. Like if he was to take an OC job anywhere oh, yes, Brad, after coming off, the, you know what I mean? That, no, that's my point. But like, that's not the trajectory for people that accomplish what he does. That's why it's confusing. Yes, it would have been a lateral move everywhere. It's not just a shot at the commanders, even though that's one of the, you know, in an offseason where none of these jobs really looked pretty, that one is especially right. unpretty for all the Dan Snyder reasons. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, we'll see what happens with that. But Eric Bieniemy, commanders. Yeah, that's really the big takeaway from this is commanders, yeah. you got a great opportunity here. That franchise squandering great opportunities is a tale as old as time. So forgive me for not feeling great about it, but that's where we are uh, with these things. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Brandon, let's try and change the mood up a little bit and give out some roses uh, for some quality performers over the weekend. Yes. At Gojo Show on Twitter, if you've got a rose you want to give out to anybody uh, that went out and earned your love over their actions or through their actions on the weekend. And Brandon, I want to start with the XFL. I was going to give it to just the St. Louis Battlehawks for their 15-point comeback in a game that involved multiple differences and tweaks in the rules that I think the NFL would do well to pay attention to. But on the league's first weekend back, led by The Rock and other investors after being shut down over the course of the pandemic, we got all of the things that we liked back about this. Most notably at the end of the night, the Washington Renegades beer snake being confiscated and exciting a lemon riot in one of the end zones in that game. It is equal parts football passion and football passion that we see in a lot of the MLS games across America. And the return yes. of the viral beer snake was something that absolutely warmed my heart. So go off, XFL. I love you. Yeah, they, I mean, listen, they're going to give me to watch... 
religiously uh, here soon. So yeah, shouts out, shouts out to you, XFL. I will say, um, rules wise, the one thing I did want to point out from that Battle Hawks game was. We mentioned that this league can be a trial balloon for some of the things that they want to do. We saw the special yeah. teams plays back, the kickoffs where you had no of the, none of the big collisions. They were trying to take that out in the sport in the name of safety. You also had, instead of extra points or two-point conversions, the chance to run a one, two, or three-point play after the score, which helped the Battle Hawks in their quest to come back from down 15 late in that game. You can go and just move the yardage back further and attempt to play for three points. You can also Ooh. do something that the Philadelphia Eagles tried to uh, pose in 2020's offseason, which is instead of an onside kick, which has been a statistical outlier, something increasingly more difficult to execute because of the rules, Instead of that, you can attempt a fourth and 15 from, I believe, like your own 25 or 28. And if you convert on that, then you get possession of the football. That's what the St. Louis Battle Hawks did in this game that allowed them to engineer this really fun cup. Like the game had been a dud before that. There were like two first downs the entire game by St. Louis. It was large. And that's what's going to come, especially early yeah. in this in, yeah. the, in the league. Offensive line play, predictably not great because early on, that's a place that takes time to gel. You're dealing with less talent. New court, like all reasons why it's going to look ugly at the beginning, but the success of this league will be measured by how many of these guys make it back to the show in the NFL and are any of these rules seen as exciting enough and good enough changes to change it up. We talked about the fumble out of the end zone rule that they're doing away with, but I thought seeing that fourth and 15 play out the way that it did goes back and reinforce. This was an idea that NFL teams were posing not too long ago. And I hope that over the course of this season, we see enough of them that for them to start to reconsider it. Because talking about leagues and teams trying, the NFL loves offense and giving teams like the Kansas City Chiefs a chance to convert a fourth and 15 instead of an onside kick to keep the party going and potentially cap off an awesome comeback sounds pretty great to me. Yeah, I think the the reality of this officiating that can, came from this, you know, highly contested Super Bowl is if the rules were different, the game could be even better. Right, exactly. So, uh, good luck, good luck. Um, was it maybe, maybe, may the what did what did they say to Katniss Everdeen? May the odds may ever the be. Odds always, may the odds ever be in your favor, or be odds you, be ever you in your favor. My brain. Um, my rose this week is going to go to Damian Lillard. Dollar Dame. Do you remember him? I do. Once upon a time. Okay. As someone with okay. a watch tattooed yes. on my wrist, I have an affinity for Dame. Yes, hey, Dame time. Uh, he shot a buzzer beater actually in the uh, All-Star game for Team Giannis that they were winning anyways, but also won a three-point contest in his third, ironically enough, in his third appearance in the three-point contest. And obviously being in Salt Lake City, Weber State is where he played his college ball, so it was kind of like homecoming for him. So, uh, But I thought this quote was the funniest part of it. He's 32 years old. And he was quoted by saying, for all the surgeries he's had, he feels like he's 27 again. If that's not a spin zone, that that apparently works because he won the three-point contest, Mike. I I like where he's going. Uh, And also, during the All-Star game, it's really hard to when there's no Steph out there. But Damian Lillard made a three-point from pass half-court. Like not even like logo style, like just kind of walking up the court, uh, you know, left side and just pulling up. Uh, so 
Damian Lillard, I want to give him his flowers. He's one of those guys that everybody wants to win a wants to win a ring. But let's be real: if we ever see him win a ring, that's going to be a pretty lackluster finals and, and <laughs> playoff run. So we have to give him his flowers now in these All Star events. So. Shouts out Damian Lillard. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, that's This yeah. is going to be where we uh, have opportunities to do that. So congrats to Dame. Uh, congrats for my second rose to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for winning the Daytona 500. We mentioned what a jam-packed weekend it was. The Great American Race went on, and there were two overtimes that pushed this to a record 212 laps. Now, they didn't have <laughs> overtime uh, but until some time ago, so it wasn't possible for a number of years, but bunch of wrecks in this but Ricky Stenhouse Jr. comes out on the other side of this and is a part of a pretty special moment for him here uh, I also believe that as a part of this win for their team and what it means for them uh, for JTG Daughtry Racing uh, it was his third win for them it's the third first single car team to win the Daytona 500 since Wood Brothers Racing did it in 2011 and Ooh. the team is owned by Tad and Joni Geschichter and former NBA player Brad Daughtry. Um, he becomes the first black car owner to win this race. And Jody Geschichter joined Teresa Earnhardt as the only female car owners to win the Daytona 500. So a little bit of history in the group that is a part of this. Um, so, yeah, congratulations. That's, that's awesome. That's, in, in a world where F1 has taken over, take that. Yeah, I mean, li listen, the Daytona 500, one of the big well-known races here. So first weekend without football. It's a great time, great place for it to be. NASCAR has got its own incredibly dedicated following. I don't got to explain that to them. But for the rest of us, cool to parachute in and cool to see this moment. Yes, amen. Uh, talking about parachuting in, I'm going to talk about the, the All-Star game. Specifically, Giannis, very upset that his team one, but I want to give my actual rose to, I guess, Giannis and Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum scored 55 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. I want to shout out Giannis for picking a, a player who scored the most points in an all star game in NBA history in Jason Tatum. And Boston Celtics, I'm sure you'll love this. The two leading scores for Team LeBron and Team Giannis were both. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, the the, the Celtics duo uh, that are doing their thing. And I don't know if this is going to get Tatum back in the MVP conversation, but I always feel like the NBA is, is right where it's supposed to be when Tatum is like, third or fourth in MVP voting, if that, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and for I'm sure them and most Celtics fans too, this is about continuing to bulldoze through the season. You're absolutely right. Yeah. This is – very emblematic of where we're at in the league right now. The Boston Celtics seem like they are the best team on the block, and anybody that's going to win this thing is going to have to go through them. So uh, congratulations to Team Giannis pulling off an improbable upset based on the roster on paper and getting a win in the NBA All-Star Contest. Uh, Brandon, it's time to finish this thing off right. Do you know what time it is? You know I do, Mike. You know I do. I'm going to talk to you right now about it. Ready? I'm in love, Mike. I'm not trying to be horny on Maine, but this is my song of the day. Got the body of a goddess. Got them eyes, but I forget I see you, girl. Drop it low. 
She coming down from the ceiling to the floor, yeah. She know what she doing, yeah, yeah. She doing that right thing, yeah, yeah. I need to get her over to the crib and do that night thing. Cause I'm just dead in the third. She popping, she rolling, she rolling. She climbing that pole and I'm just dead in the thirst Trippin', she playing, she playing I'm not going nowhere, girl, I'm saying She's a dead in the thirst Poppin', she rollin', she rollin' She riding that pole and I'm just dead in the thirst Playing, she playing I'm not going nowhere, girl, I'm saying I'm just dead in the thirst So that song got me thinking and Googling um, the answer to the question on all of our minds that I wasn't genuinely sure of. Yes, there are strip clubs in Salt Lake City. Um, according to Yelp, <laughs> the top five strip clubs in Salt Lake City are Trails Men's Club, Exotic Kitty, American Bush, Divas Ooh. Cabaret, and The Bear's Den. So have these Have these strip clubs not renamed themselves since the 70s? I mean, it's a good indication of longevity, if that's the case. Okay, okay, there's that There's that angle. Yes, of course. No new strip clubs in, Seattle, in Salt Lake City. Uh, if you enjoyed Brandon uh, riding, grinding that pole, uh, make sure you download, subscribe, <laughs> rate, and review Gojo. Wherever you get your podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review and tell him uh, that you're in love with his stripping. Uh, Brandon, let's get to this. Uh, some NBA news from over the weekend. Sort of a roster thing here. Kevin Love, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, plans to sign with yes. the Miami Heat after clearing waivers, according to his agent Jeff Schwartz. Uh, he agreed to a contract buyout with the Cleveland Cavaliers on Saturday. He joined the Cavs in 2014 and was the last remaining bit of that 2016 championship team with LeBron and Kyrie. Um the other report that goes along with this is that the Cleveland Cavaliers have announced that they plan to retire Kevin Love's number zero in the rafters there. And Brandon, deservedly so. I think all time he's yeah. pretty much second in everything behind LeBron. He had been around there the longest there. Obviously, the years after LeBron left the second time and that group with Kyrie broke up weren't really much to write home about. There was hope going into this season for a bunch of reasons. And as he's been phased out of the lineup, this kind of felt inevitable. But a guy 100% who deserves to have his jersey and his place in that city's history immortalized for what he was as a part of that team. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Uh, I hate to make the comparison because they're teammates at UCLA, but he's always reminded me of white Russell Westbrook, just in a sense of him being someone that you know, everyone was like, this guy's good. This guy deserves to win a championship at some point in time. Obviously, that hasn't happened for Russell Westbrook. But he got with LeBron a little bit too late. And uh, Kevin Love got LeBron at the right time and the rest of that team. So, shouts out to him. Uh, and I I, I feel weird about the, the, the jersey being retired. But it definitely makes sense for Cleveland. Not that it's a bad move. It makes sense for Kevin Love and everything that he's done for Cleveland. Yeah. So, and yeah. like you down, you down, like UD's jersey might get retired in Miami when he's done too. Well, not to make that to me. Yeah. To me, the comparison for the Miami era was more Chris Bosh. They were both guys that were stars in their own right. Kevin Love. Like one of the that. markers of fame was always, did you have your own? This is Sports Center commercial, and Kevin Love had the one rocking right. around the LA office where he was asking people if they wanted the double double because he was famed for averaging a double double over the course of those seasons. 
but yeah. also had to step back a little bit in his role when you're on a LeBron James team. Kevin Love was one of the guys that talked about mental health early on in the NBA True. and was a part of that yeah. conversation. Talked pretty openly about how difficult it is playing under the bright lights that come with LeBron James being on your team. And so with all that, plus big moments like the closeout on Steph Curry in that finals that they did win, he was a part of a lot of winning moments for that team and for that franchise. And so congratulations to Kevin Love. I have no idea what he'll do for a Miami Heat team that is, you know, had a little bit of a stumble on the way into All-Star Weekend in losing that game to uh, Mikel Bridges going off for 45 that knocked them down a spot below them in the Eastern Conference. But he's going to a team that's got a chance that right now is in the playoff field. So congratulations and happy trails to Kevin Love. Brandon, let's get to the important stuff, though, from this weekend. DK Metcalf, uh, that is getting the most predictable drug test of all time. Um, this weekend, DK Metcalf had plenty of interesting things happen to him. He was a part of the celebrity all-star game leading Dwayne Wade's team to a narrow victory and earning MVP in the process, Brandon, which not just, okay. Thank you for us. I thought you were going to step on his MVP trophy, won the MVP trophy, had a thunderous dunk in that game that came hours after a commercial showing him going way, way up in the air in a way that nobody should believe is real. In a viral video, I cannot stress enough. If after everything that we have seen over the years with those LeBron full court makes and all these other deep fake commercials that are clearly ads that you all believe are real life ex- like exploits of these godlike humans, seek help at this point. Come on, we've had the internet for too long for you to be buying into this. That being said, it's somewhat plausible because DK's a freak athlete who went out there and yammed all over this, seems to be one of the better all-around athletes in the NFL, and helped the team that I picked, Team Wade in the Celebrity All-Star game, win this game, meaning that now Brandon Newman on the losing side has to get ready to figure out how he wants to break up the Krispy Kreme challenge, which is supposed to be a dozen donuts in five miles in an hour. But Brandon, I am open to some negotiations because am I not nothing but merciful? Well, you bet your ass better be open for some damn negotiations. My wife has some stipulations. She's uh, very worried about the, the challenge. Uh, she says she did not agree to it, and she doesn't. She next time we do something that involves my health, she wants to be cleared on it before we bring it up on the podcast. But since we've done this, she says it has to be somewhere where there's a defibrillator nearby. So. She said indoors. I said, I'm not running indoors with Krispy Kreme donuts. This is not what I'm doing. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But yes, I am a little bit upset that it was a paper, rock, scissors game that came down because we knew who's going to win that game based on the it roster. It was a close game, Brandon. I mean, for no. a while, I was sweating that thing out. No. No, you weren't. And I knew it was a good game. It was a close game, but it's a bunch of celebrities bouncing around. And one person had DK Metcalf on the team. He was swatting shit left and right, making all the points. First por- first points of the game. It just was a force. It was a force. He just came off the NFL season. It was. I don't even know why I thought Calvin Johnson was anything near what DK Metcalf could do, but I'm very upset. All right, well, we will talk offline. We'll figure it out because I said I'm willing to build in training time Batman style for you to get ready for this, willing to finagle some of the time here, maybe prorate some things or take it off all relative to each other. We can figure out a way to make this palatable. But one way or another, we're going to figure out a way to do this. Consider it a warm-up for what we've got coming for our March Madness bracket bet uh, here in the near future. But Brandon, 
Let's get to the third. By, oh, by the way, I guess I should say on top of all that, DK Metcalf did all of that and then shared the text message that he got this morning from the NFL saying he was getting drug tested, which should yeah. put to bed. We've seen this time and time again where, oh, how about that? Someone does something freakish and then the next day they get the quote unquote random drug test. I'm just happy that nowhere in the text message did the NFL try and provide that farce that this was a random drug test. They saw him go out there and ball his ass off, and they said, something's fishy here, and we're going to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, but there's, there's still dumb people out there, Mike, that think that he got tested because of the NBA commercial. It was like, oh, he jumped way too high to catch that ball in that NBA com- commercial. Now they're testing his ass. It's like, no. I, what I do no. want... I wonder if the NFL's in on the joke at this point. Like, if they're so Ah. thirsty to get memed that they're just like, oh, yeah, what better time than to go and get sure, make sure that this text message ends up getting out there because we know DK is going to share it because one of those meme accounts, I think it was like the Shannon Sharp Burner meme account, tweeted out DK drug test incoming and the prophecy then fulfilled on the other side. So maybe someone savvy in the league office pushed that Buffalo Wild Wings button and said, it's drug test time, baby. Let's make sure we're in the meme cycle. So chestnut checkers. Uh, Brandon, let's get to the third. Speaking of uh, chestnut checkers, this is pure nostalgia, baby, and I am here for it. Apparently, according to The Sun, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is now potentially being adapted for a movie. Now, this was a stage play that had run since 2016 at the West End stage in London, According to a source, Warner Brothers are currently looking at how to bring the Cursed Child to the big screen. Part of this process is trying to get the original cast, the big three, all back together, meaning Emma Watson, who played Hermione Granger, Rupert Grint, who played Ron Weasley, and of course, Daniel Ratcliffe playing Harry Potter. And so, at a time, Brandon, where we got the Harry Potter legacy video game that just came out that's getting a big social media moment right now and getting all the people our age back in their feelings... This feels like they're just going, we talked about it the other day, going back to what works, Sting, Genesis, selling their catalogs. If you want to make money, Harry Potter has usually been a pretty good place to do that, especially when you got the heavy hitters involved. Hey, I'm just glad that the, the big three can put their pride aside and, you know, there's something with the actors. They they get tired of doing the shows that they do uh, over and over again or the movies and only doing that role. It's like, huh, money talks. Like, let's get let's get back in, in the Hogwarts. Let's find the platform. Like, wh- whatever y'all need, we'll be there. Give us the script. So, according to The Sun, it is interesting considering the money aspect of this. Daniel Ratcliffe has gone on and actually done a really good job of breaking True. out of that being typecast as Harry Potter for the rest of your career. He most recently starred in the Weird Al Yankovic biopic. Uh, Emma Watson has also starred in another number of other successful films. But Brandon, Rupert Grint is the one that's a little bit off the board here. He is also uh, has a, apparently a real estate portfolio, or he's launched a hugely Ooh. successful property business that has a portfolio worth over 24 million pounds. So they've all gotten to the money, even though they were already in the money after what happened with Harry Potter. But, you know, they say some is great, more is better. Yeah, I, hey, I, I just I just want to see them do this in perpetuity. Like, you be, let's let's stop the games. We had a little, a little time where we were acting like we weren't calling 
Emma Watson, Hermione Granger, and we were calling Daniel Radcliffe by his actual name, Daniel Radcliffe. Like, let's get back to Harry, Ron, and, 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 uh, and Hermione. And I know for a lot of people it's a bit conflicted because J.K. Rowling, the original author of the series, has come yes. out with increasingly you know homophobic and transphobic statements and a lot of stuff that we don't really want to be a part of. Like, it is a little bit conflicted in that way, but I think overall we can... I mean, she's already financially set for the rest of her life. We can avoid giving her the public praise that probably sustains her and just say, hey, this is the thing that makes us all happy. It's been a huge part of my childhood and adulthood. Like, it's not something that's ever gone away. It's one of the biggest worldwide phenomena that's happened in my lifetime up there with, like, Pokemon cards and the continued existence of the NFL. So it's not going anywhere. We can just make sure that we kind of exclude her from the conversation the way she was excluded from the Harry Potter reunion that happened on HBO Max not long ago where they got a lot of the cast True. and crew back together, talk about the anniversary of the uh, of the movies, talk about the people that were no longer with them, and then just kind of kept her the hell out of that for the most part. Did she write that play? Uh, I'd have to go back and look and see. The play did have like the... It had the script in written form as a book, which I read. It was really good. It's a um, it's a sequel. So in the way that a lot of the Fantastic Beasts movies take place in the world before the Harry Potter books that she we did know. Uh, yeah, Harry Potter write. and the Cursed Child, I believe, takes place, if I'm remembering correctly, I read it back in like 2016, takes place in the world after the Harry Potter books that we know. So, yeah, she did write that, so that's unfortunate. But, uh, again, we can just kind of pretend like that's not the case and enjoy this thing that has been really fun for all of Wingardium us. Wingardium Leviosa. Yeah, it's Wingardium Leviosa, not Leviosa. <laughs> uh, if you enjoyed any of these incantations, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Michael or Junior tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.